شهد الله أنه لا إله إلا هو والملائكة والملائكة وأولو العلم قائما بالقسط لا إله إلا هو العزيز الحكيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين صلى الله وسلم وبارك على عبده ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين ما بعد. So before we get into the carry on the book, um, there needs to be an introduction in Kitab al-Hudud, and Kitab al-Hudud obviously is talking about the punishments that the Sharia has legislated upon those who commit crimes in a Muslim land where the hukum, the ruling is ruled by the Sharia of Allah, and this is for the Hakim, for the ruler. To implement, not for anyone else. The so an introduction that needs to be understood is that the Sharia has come to preserve five things, and these are the five maqasid of the Sharia. One of the يعني the usul al-maqasid. There's a subject in the Sharia called maqasid al-Sharia, and the scholars of of, uh, of 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 Islam they have written books about these maqasid, from amongst them being the Kitab. Al-Muwafaqat by Al-Shatibi and other books which speaks about the intentions behind the Sharia. What we mean by the intentions behind the Sharia is the wisdoms behind the ahkam, the rulings that have come in the Sharia. So in the Sharia we have rulings and we know that Allah Azza wa Jal doesn't legislate anything without a wisdom. Because He is the most just of those who rule and the most wise of those who rule. And there's no one who is an aqil, a sane person, who does something without a reason. So no doubt, the sharia of Allah is all based on reasons. And it's all based on something, that Allah, a wisdom that Allah wants behind these rulings. And so the ulama of maqasid, the scholars of maqasid al-sharia, they have agreed upon five intentions of the sharia, under which all other maqasid they come under. Or the majority of the intentions of the sharia they come under. And every ruling, then it has come to preserve one of these five things in the Sharia, and from the, re- the importance of understanding this, will ha- the, the reason why it's important to understand this is that it will help you understand the rulings that we are taking in this Kitab al-Hudud, in the book of the, the punishments. Now these five maqasid, these five intentions behind the Sharia, are five intentions in the Sharia that are agreed upon by all of the scholars of Islam, right? And they are known as the maqasid al-Kubra, the major Intentions behind the Sharia, and they are number one: the Sharia has come to preserve hifdu din, to preserve the deen of the people, to pre- preserve the religion of Islam amongst the people. Number two: the Sharia has come to preserve the blood of the people, so blood is not spilt. The blood of the people. Number three is that the Sharia has come to preserve. The honor of the people, ird, which also comes under lineage as well. Honor and lineage. Number four is the Sharia has come to protect the sanity, the intellect, the sa- the mind of the people. Number, the, number four is the Sharia has come to protect the sanity, the, the intellect of the people. And number five is that the Sharia has come to, to protect the wealth of the people, money. The wealth of the people. So we find there 
let's look at the examples here. In the first one, preservation of the deen. The sharia has come to preserve the deen of the people. So that a person, his deen does not become deficient, nor does it become abandoned or left. So because of that, there's many rulings that has been prescribed in the sharia to preserve such a thing. For amongst them is the prohibition of a person worshipping Allah in a place where a grave is. Worshipping Allah where a grave is. Or going to a masjid where there's a grave inside the masjid. We're not allowed to do that. Because it can lead to shirk, which leads to the, the, the destruction of someone's deen. And shirk is something that leads to the destruction of someone's deen. And from amongst the ways that the deen has been preserved is the hukmul murtad, which we're going to take today. The ruling of the one who leaves the deen. The reason why a person, he's been prohibited from leaving the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is because of this huge intention. This is the most important intention behind the sharia. And that is to preserve the deen of the people. There's nothing that goes over it. And if there is blood and deen on a scale, which one do we prefer? Deen comes first. Wealth or, or deen? Deen comes first. The deen goes above everything. That's why it's not allowed for a person to leave Islam. It's not allowed for a person to leave Islam. A person leaving Islam, salam, leaves in Islam, encourages other people to do such a thing. And pro- propagating such beliefs encourages other people to believe in such beliefs. So the Sharia came to pro- pro- protect people from leaving Islam by giving the ruling of the murtad, of the apostate which we're going to take today. Similarly, the, the, the blood of the people. The blood is, is, is sacred of the Muslim. So therefore, the Sharia came with the ruling of execution for the one who kills. And preventing the, all, all ways of execution... And that's why the Sharia has given such a harsh punishment for murder. Because blood is one of the most important things in the Sharia that needs to be preserved. And I mentioned to you guys last week that the Prophet ﷺ pointed to the Kaaba and said that the blood of the Muslim is more valuable than the Kaaba. And so that shows why it's such a huge punishment. Similarly, the honor of the people. What should, what, which uh, ruling do we take that speaks about the honor of the people? Hmm? Zina. And what else? And slander, qadh. So you're not allowed to go and, يعني, what comes under honor is what? Lineage as well. When someone commits zina or someone, a baby comes out of it, the lineage is lost. And so the sharia came to preserve the lineage because there needs to be mas'uliyah, there needs to be responsibility of the father over that child. As opposed to in a situation when a father, his responsibility is left alone. And people are left, anyone commits zina and the father is not known and a child is left to be raised by themselves or maybe with, with just a mother and there's no father to help them, and thereby possibly, possibly causing ills of, in society. Possibly, obviously not necessarily. We have imams of the Salaf who are only raised by their parents, by their mothers. Like, and the point is that this ad- lack of responsibility over the father's head because of zina, which leads to more corruption in the society, and le- leads to so many harms of society. And that's why from the wisdoms of the Sharia is to preserve this, in order to preserve society's wealth and sanity, and that's when things like uh, a lot of ills of society happen when there is no one to control the children, for example. And then also the qadh, slandering. The sharia came to preserve the people's honor, so therefore it prohibited slandering, saying that someone committed zina or accusing someone else of zina. Even if you are, if you are correct and you don't have four witnesses, you still be lashed. Because the honor of the Muslim is sacred. As Prophet وسلم, he told us in the hadith, in aradakum wa amwalakum. That your blood and your honor and your wealth is haram upon everyone else. No one's allowed to touch anyone else's blood, honor or, or wealth. Just like how sacred today is. The 10th day of Dhul-Hijjah, Yawm Al-Eid. 
هذا on the day on the month of of the Hijjah, the sacred month, في بلدكم هذا in this in the city of Mecca. That's how haram these these things are. They're sacred. So the honor of a human being has been preserved, and this is from some of the ways zina has been prohibited. And that's why the punishment of zina is so harsh because of what evils it leads to, and because of what harms it causes on society. Similarly, the the honor of a person, someone his honor is taken away. For example, someone is accused of of zina. A woman is accused of zina, even if she's innocent, her honor still is tainted by that. That's why the punishment is so harsh that the person needs to be lashed. And similarly, uh, the wealth, and what you're going to take today, the, the one who steals money. Money is haram. Money is haram for anyone else. No one's allowed to touch anyone else's money. And that's why the sharia is so harsh when it comes to some other people's money. Someone stealing their hands cut off, for example, which we're going to take today. The hand has to be, it should be cut off. And also the, the, the wealth of someone, the Prophet said that the wealth, لا يحل مال امرئ مسلم إلا it is not allowed the wealth of a Muslim. You're not allowed to take the wealth of a Muslim illa from rida unless he's pleased with it, hundred percent pleased with it. That's why the Sharia even prohibits, even prohibits the, يعني, almost forcing someone or, يعني, putting someone into a hard position where they feel like they're forced to give money. It prohibits that. And from this angle, a lot of the ulama they prohibited uh, a begging, begging. They prohibited it unless there is a need, and they prohibited begging because it will put someone in a situation. Where they have to give away their wealth and they might not want to. And the Sharia says you don't have to give your wealth if you don't if you don't want to, other than what's been obliged, right? And the sanity. What what ruling has come to preserve people's sanity? Alcohol. Alcohol has been was prohibited, and that's why the Sharia it prohibited alcohol. Uh, it, it legislated a punishment, a harsh punishment for drinking alcohol, and made it such a huge sin because when sanity of people goes, then all other uh, evils in society also comes with it. That's why they say الخمر أم الخبائث That the alcohol is the mother of all evils Because it leads to all other evils A person who drinks alcohol, he can commit zina A person who drinks alcohol, he kill someone A person who drinks alcohol, he go and do other things that are more haram So that's why all of these, the sharia has come And the sharia is, the, 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 the Islam is a, is a sharia based on wisdom from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala It's come to preserve all of these things from the people And because of that, these punishments were legislated So in the book we say here فصل في حد السارق the punishment of the one who steals he says وتقطع يد السارق بستة شرائط the the one who steals السرقة is أخذ المال من حرز على وجه الخفية it is for a person to take wealth from a حرز from a protection to take wealth from a protection write it down I'm going to explain to you inshallah it is to take wealth from a from a place of protection يعني in a way of in a hidden way from this we understand that if wealth is not in, what do we mean by hidden, in a hidden place? Al-Hirz, remember we took Al-Hirz, remember, we've taken it. Hirz al-Mithl, remember. Yani it's a place where that wealth is supposed to be. For example, what we mean by it's, t- it's taken from its Hirz, yani it's taken from its protect, a place of protection. That is suitable for that place. That thing, sorry. For example, gold. That gold. Gold has its, pay, has its own place, which is where? A safe, right? You put gold in a safe. If gold is, stole, is stolen from a safe, then it's called sariqa. But let's say gold is on the street. Someone goes, so gets gold and falls, throws it on the, stru- on the floor. Someone comes by and takes it. He doesn't announce it. Is it called? It's stealing, right? It is stealing, right? Like in the sariqa, it's not sariqa. So it, these rulings don't apply. Is that clear? So the item must be in a place where it is normally protected. What do, we, what do we mean, how do we define Al-Hirz, where it's normally protected? Urf, Ahsant. 
the custom of the people. Yani everyone knows where gold is supposed to be. So if gold is in that place and it's stolen from there, then it's called sariqa. Everyone knows where books are supposed to be. Where are books supposed to be? On the shelf, on the library. So if, book, if a book is stolen from the shelf, then it's called sariqa. If um, a car, for example, or, or a wallet is in someone's pocket, a wallet is in someone's pocket, and someone takes it out of their pocket, then it's called sariqa, because that's where it's supposed to be. And all of these things. So the, the condition is that, for it to be considered to be sariqa, is that it is fi hirz. It is in a protected place where it's supposed to be. That is what sariqa is. So he says, the hand, what's the ruling of the punishment, of the, the ruling on the, the one who steals? It is, When there's six conditions met, then the hand of the thief, the one who steals, who done sariqa, is cut off. As opposed to the one who does, um, someone who steals by force. Armed robbery, for example. Armed robbery comes under which we're going to take, inshallah. The one who, uh, highway robbers. They, they have a different punishment, which is worse. Armed robbery, for example. Or, for example, uh, someone who steals someone's phone, which is in their hand, and they, they run off with it. Take it and run, it, run off with it. It's not called sariqa. And the punishment is different. They, they, they take it back, and they, they, there's no specific punishment for that. As for sariqa, then it has this specific punishment. Number one is, يكون The one who does this stealing, he is عاقل. He's at the age of puberty, and he's sane. So the one who steals before the age of puberty, they're not... And the had is not punished. The, 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 pun- the sharia does not come to punish anyone who is below the age of puberty for their crimes. Aqilan, he has to be sane. And if he's insane, then he doesn't know what he's doing. Number two is, وَأَنْ يَسْرِقَ نِصَابًا قِيمَتُهُ رُبْعُ دِينَارٍ مِنْ حِرْزِ مِثْلِهِ Is that he steals, that, that there's, a, there's, a, there's a nisab for stealing. And is anyone, is, is, is someone punished for stealing a small amount of money, like just a little pen? No. It has to be rub'u dinar. A quarter of a dinar. A quarter of a dinar. That is the nisab of, of stealing. So if someone steals rub'u dinar or more, then that's when they deserve the punishment. Because of the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he said from Aisha radiallahu anha, and written by Bukhari Muslim, لا تقطع يد السارق إلا في ربع دينار فصاعدا. That the hand of the thief is not cut off except, except if it reaches a quarter of a dinar or more. One dinar is approximately um, from I remember the, uh, we need to check, double check the calculations so just check what one dinar is يعني one gold coin يعني it is approximately uh, 20 pounds uh, from what I remember years ago this was a year, many many years ago 1.75 grams of pure gold 1.75 1. 1.08 1.058 grams of gold of pure gold نعم and this, the gold the last time I saw it was 220 dirham Dubai how much is that? How much is that in, in pounds? 220 dirham in pounds is around um, divided by five. 220 divided by five. La ilaha illallah. Huh? 40. 40 something, huh? 200, 220 divided by five. 44, huh? 44, huh? So around 44. That's a quarter of a dinar. But no, no. Sorry. That's one gram. That's one gram. And he said how many grams? 1.058. 1.058. So approximately 40, 50 pounds, something like that. That's the, that's the, 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 the nisab. And the scholars, they say, the person, his hand, if someone cuts off your hand, what, how much do you, what do you get? What do you get? Someone cuts off your hand, what's the dia? What's the dia? The same hand. 
الدية الدية نفس القصاص وسط الدية ها 50 نص كذا هان هاند رمبر ما زد one hand one eye everything you have two of it's half you have two then it's full dia which is 100 camels so 50 camels is that is that 40 pounds so that hand is worth 50 camels but when it's stolen it was worth little that shows that the person who commits a sin his value goes low and that's what some of the scholars they mention that person his why did they they, they ask a question now how come you valued the hand of the person when it comes to the dia for and it obviously is not according to the value of the hand. The hand doesn't have a specific value. Like in when it comes to dia, how come you gave it half, 50 camels? And but when, it, when, he was, when he stole, it was only dinar, a quarter of a dinar. We said because the person who commits a sin, his value goes low. And just like that, a person is honored by their good deeds. Uh, so uh, that's the, the, the nisab of, uh, for, the, for a person, for the person's hands. dinar, The value of a quarter of a dinar. Min hirzi mithlihi from hirz. From its protection, يعني where it's supposed to be protected. Um, then he says, لا ملك له فيه ولا شبهة له في مال المسروق منه. That this wealth that he stole, he has no ownership in it. So the way what comes under that, if someone he steals money that he has, he owns. Or ولا شبهة له في مال المسروق منه. Or he hasn't got any 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 claim, any even no claim at all to that money. The example of that is the wealth of a father. A father stealing from his child. A father stealing from the son. There's no if some if a father takes from the the wealth, the wealth of the son without any permission, without any right, then his hand is not cut off, because he has some sort of ownership over his son. For example, a wife stealing from the husband. Yes, she's not allowed to steal, and it's haram for her to steal. Like if she does steal from her husband, is her hand cut off? No. As opposed to the husband stealing from the wife, then yes, it is, because he has no no right over that wealth. As for the wife, then she has right over that wealth, right? Which is that the husband has to spend upon him. طيب. Or for example, another example that they give here is that you have no ownership. يعني the example of ownership is that if you, someone owes you money. Someone owes you money. And so you take from their money, you steal, you steal from their money. Without any right, not at this time. Then they say this is shubha. This has a shubha, therefore the hand is not cut off. And remember the principle, if there's any shubha, if there's any doubt, then they don't punish. So it's haram for them to do, but it's not punished. They're not punished by, by the sariqah. Or for example, a person, he, him and his partner, they have a business partner, and he takes all the money. He steals all the money. He has a share of that money. Therefore, because of that, we say, his hands are not cut off. Lakin, he's haram, what he's done is sinning. But his hands are not cut off. Because they're shubha. Yeah. Yes, there will be another punishment if the qadi judges like that. If the judge judges like that. Other than that, then يعني, it wouldn't be that punishment wouldn't be applied. طيب. Uh, or, for example, if someone st steals money from the treasury, from the Muslim treasury, from the Muslim treasury, you know, there's the Bayt al-Mal where the Muslim's money, the public money is, he steals from there. Because he's part of the Muslims, so he deserves some of that money, right? But he steals from there. We say that this is haram, lacking, there's no, there's no cutting of the hand on that. Or a slave steals from his owner. It's no, no cut of the hand. Naam. And things like that. Public money, for example. Someone steals public property. Like a lamppost. Light bulb. A light bulb of a lamppost, for example. That's all I can think of. It's haram. Like in, there's no hand cut off. Is that clear? So if there's shubha, then we don't take it off. And if he has any ownership of that, what I mean by shubha is that if it is his, he has ownership or part ownership of that, 
of that he, he deserves that money he has part des he deserves part of that money then there's no there's no cutting off because of the fact that there is shubha there exactly طيب a question yeah, um, so like say for example someone said like he's an employee of a business and he's stealing from the business like in terms of money لا 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 then in that case no because he's is if he's an investor if he's the owner of the business then that's different like if he's an employee then he's just an employee he don't deserve the money of the business he deserves the money of his employer as for the business no so he doesn't come it doesn't come he will come the punishment yes he will take the punishment طيب then he says what is the punishment? The hand cutting off is the right hand. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, That the thief man or woman, then their hand should be cut off. And this is a, an, an, a recompense for the, what they have earned. Allah, punishment from Allah. And Allah is the most wise. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the Almighty and the, 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 the most wise. And so this punishment is something that is wise from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I've mentioned to you guys the story over there that was mentioned to us by Shaykh Abdul Salam, Shu'ir Hafizahullah ta'ala, that there was a city where stealing was very prevalent. And then when someone, one person's hand was cut off, then there was no stealing in that city for 50 years. And so the intention behind this is what? Is to prevent people from doing such a crime. Because we said that the wealth of Muslims is sacred. The wealth of a Muslim is sacred. Therefore, stealing from it, it, it deserves such a punishment. Um, so that is from the wisdoms of the, 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 the cutting off of the hands. Then it says, The hand is cut off from the wrist. And this is, the, this is the no difference of opinion. And the right hand. Why the right hand? Because of the Qira'ah of Ibn Mas'ud. When he recited in the ayah, the Qira'ah of Ibn Mas'ud. And Ibn Mas'ud's Qira'ah is not recited in, 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 in Salah. And it's not allowed to be recited in Salah because it's not Qira'at. As the ulama of Qira'at, they say it is Qira'ah Shadha. And the Qira'at they are allowed to read in the Quran are the only ones that are the ones that are mutawatira. They have been narrated by tawatur without, by multiple, from multiple, um, يعني, non, non, you can't count how many turuq, how many chains of narrations they are for that Qira'ah. Such as the Qira'at al-Sab'ah, from Shatibiyah, and the Qira'at al-Kubra, the Qira'at al-Thalatha, from al-Durrah al-Tayyibah. Majority of the scholars, they say it is also Mutawatir, or a lot of scholars say Mutawatir as well. And the Qira'at al-Kubra, from al-Tayyibah al-Nashr, from al-Tayyibah al-Nashr, these are also Qira'at Mutawatir. As for the Qira'at of A'mash, or Qira'at ibn Muhaysin, or Qira'at ibn Mas'ud, then these Qira'at are Shadha. What do you mean by Shadha? Do you mean by they are false and they're not Qira'at? No, they are Qira'at, but they are the Sometimes they are, qira of the, they are the Qira'ah of the Sahaba that they recited in order to make tafsir of the Qur'an, to do tafsir of the Qur'an. So they will recite like that with tafsir, as tafsir. So he would say, فَقْطَعُوا أَيْمَانَهُمَا Not at this is the Qur'an that was revealed like that, no. But what he means by that is that he is doing tafsir when he was writing it. فَقْطَعُوا أَيْمَانَهُمَا So he's, he's doing tafsir of the ayah, he's explaining أَيْدِيَهُمَا as أَيْمَانَهُمَا, the right hand. And the Qira'ah shadha is a hujjah, is a proof. Just like a hadith which is a hadith which is sahih is proof, then the qira'a shadha which is sahih, sahiha, is also proof in ahkam, in the rulings. Like we have the qira'a of Ibn Sa'ud when he recited, um, reciting, you have to fast three days in a row. Three days in a row. So when a person breaks his fast, he has to, when a person breaks his oath, he has to fast three days in a row because of that qira'a. And we get rulings from the qira'a shadha, and they're not really recited today. 
they're not recited today, but the ulama of, 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 of fiqh and also qiraat, they read it and they get ijazah in it and they know it, but they don't read it in salah. That's why it's not famous like that. Is that clear? Is that point clear? There's a, there's a point of, it's an important point to know when it comes to istidlal, when it comes to using evidences. Sometimes a qiraat is not allowed to be recited, but in terms of Quran, in, in, in salah, but it, what it contains in meaning is still present and is used as a evidence. From amongst those evidences, this ayah that was recited by Ibn Mas'ud in that way. He said, Cut their right hands. And that shows by ijma' that the right hand is cut off. As Al-Qadi Abu Tayyib, he quoted ijma' that there is no difference of opinion that it's the right hand that's supposed to be cut off, not the left hand. Then if he steals a second time, then his left foot is cut off. And he stole one time and he was caught. Then he, his right hand, then his left foot. Another important mas'ala when it comes to the uh, sariqah is that the sariqah stealing is a right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It has two rights here. There's two rights when it comes to stealing. The right of the human being and the right of Allah. So therefore, if the sariqah, if the stealing, the, the case is brought to the judge, if the case is brought to the judge, then the judge or and the one who was stolen from hasn't got a right to forgive. They haven't got a right to forgive. They have to uh, apply the punishment. As opposed to qadh, as opposed to slandering, accusing someone of zina. Then it's the right of the one who was slandered only. So they can forgive and that person is not punished. As for the one who steals, if the case is brought to the judge, then they have to punish them and they have no right to repent. In terms of repentance, they have no right يعني, to accept their repentance. In terms of lifting up the punishment for them, they have to be punished. In, as for repentance, then in front of Allah, Allah will forgive them. Yom al As for in this dunya, then the punishment must be applied upon them. In the in, in the Islamic government. For in then if still the third time, قطعت يده اليسرى. Then his left left hand is cut off. Third, third time. For in if he still the fourth time, قطعت رجله اليمنى. Then his right right foot is cut off. And I don't think someone will get to such a level. Allah alam. He goes that much. If he steals again after that, then he's punished according to the judge with ta'zir. What's ta'zir? What's ta'zir at the back? You guys don't remember ta'zir? It's a punishment that is at the discretion of the judge. The judge, um, the judge decides how to punish him. Now the second, the, the second one we're going to take today is قَطْعُ الطَّرِيقِ نعم. وَقِيلَ يُقْتَلُ صَبْرًا وَقِيلَ يَسَوْ قَوْلُ ضَعِيفٌ يعني they say can you, he's killed he's killed that's again this is a قول which is weak rather but there is إجماع there's a hadith يعني the hadith they said that if he still the fifth time then فَقْتُلُوهُ then he should be uh, executed لكن الإمام الشافعي quotes إجماع that the one who still the fifth time should not be killed rather it goes back to تعزير and there's إجماع on that um no. And it's similar to the drinking. There's a hadith of the Prophet وسلم, said if he drinks first time then فضربوهو, فجلدوهو. Second time فجلدوهو. Third time فجلدوهو. Fourth time فجلدوهو. Fifth time فقتلوهو. Then execute him. And that also by ijma' that the scholars they say that we don't act upon that because it is abrogated the hadith. Wallahu alam. And similar this as well. The one who steals a fifth time is not executed because it's abrogated and there's no difference of opinion on that. Wallahu alam. Can the ta'zir be execution? Hmm? Can it be execution? Can be execution? The difference of opinion on the scholars on ta'zir, can it be execution or not? Wallahu alim can be. No. But as a had, no. As a punishment, no.
يعني is it a punishment? Is it fifth time? Is it a punishment that has to be abided by? No. But as the judge, you can decide. وفي أحكام قاطع الطريق. على القطاع الطريق يا. Can I have to check the recording for that? بالغاً عاقل. Has to be puberty, sane. Has to be at the nisab. And he has no shubha, he has no ownership in it. And he has no shibha shubha. He has no shibha, and he has no ownership or no part ownership. And he has to be in hirz, he has to be in a protection. طيب, فصل في أحكام قاطع الطريق. The rulings of the one who... Let me repeat those six actually, that's good, that's good to repeat that actually. Number one is that he has to be balig, at the age of puberty. Number two, he has to be sane. Number three, he has to steal nisab. يعني the amount, ربع دينار, قوت of a dinar. Number four is it has to be from hirs, from protection. Number five, he must have no hirs. Yeah, it has to be in hirs with Yeah. Number five is he has no ownership. And number six is that he has no part ownership. Or no right, يعني no right to the wealth would be better to say. طيب قاطع الطريق قاطع الطريق it is the one who steals from people على وجه الغلبة والقوة he overpowers people with strength to steal from people and the reason why it was called قاطع الطريق is that the majority of the times these people were highway robbers that they would wait for people on the road on the طريق on the pathway and when they would come they would go and they would rob them on that way and so they would by doing that people will no longer take that pathway They'll be scared to take that pathway. And it's something that was prevalent um, a lot. يعني, even in recent times, or not recent times, يعني, hundreds or two hundred years ago, it was prevalent even in the, way, in the, the ways of Hajj, in the, in, the, in the pathways of Hajj. And it's something that was mentioned by ulama that I heard from a Shaykh Rasulullah Abbas, Hafizahullah, that he said that our Mashaykh, his teachers, يعني, Shaykh Rasulullah is an old, old man, Hafizahullah, his, his Mashaykh, his teachers would say to him that he, they would come to Hajj back in the days before. Uh, King Abdul Aziz took over Saudi Arabia and that they would, before that there was no safety and they would come and on the road and people would be robbed on the way to Hajj from all, from all directions and even one of, my, one of my teachers in the university said that him in Abha in the southern region of Saudi Arabia when they would come, people come from Abha there would be people from his tribe he said from my tribe they used to rob people in that way and uh, that's something that was known and even until recent times until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed the land of Mecca and Medina with safety through the Tawheed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought through the da'wah of, of Tawheed from the Shaykh Muhammad al Wahhab. That's da'wah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And when that da'wah came, no doubt, when people are, have Tawheed, then they're given safety in land. As Allah promised them in the Quran, وَعَدَ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْكُمْ وَعَمْلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ لِيَسْتَخْلِفَنَّهُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ كَمَا اسْتَخْلَفَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ That when the, the people who, who believe and they do good deeds, Allah will give them istikhlaf, He will give them يعني, ownership or يعني power on the earth just like he gave power to those before him وَلَيُبَدِّلَنَّهُمْ مِنْ بَعْدِ خَوْفِهِمْ أَمْنَا and he's going to change their situations their situation from a situation of fear to a situation of safety and that's something that happened at the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he took over the Arabian Peninsula it was a place it was safe and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said there will come a time where a woman would travel from Mecca to Sana'a and she will fear nothing other than her the wolf that will eat her sheep 
because there'll be no more people robbing people on the way. And this happened at the time of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, happened at the time of Umar ibn Khattab, and had happened at the time of the Prophet والسلام, that the pathways they were made safe due to the da'wah of Tawheed being established. And this is from the benefits of Tawheed being established in the land and the Sharia being established in the land. That when people are punished for their crimes and people have Tawheed in their land, then the people who are causing havoc and causing uh, danger and taking away safety from the people, they're stopped from amongst them being Qutta' al-Tariq, these people. And this is something that happened over time whenever the Sharia of Allah is implemented in that place. And that's what happened in, in history. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to keep the lands of the Muslims safe. <coughs> from the ankle, yeah. No, the, the leg, the foot is cut off from the ankle as well. No. Um, so was the right hand left foot, the left hand right foot? Yeah. في أحكام قاطع الطريق. And so why is it called قاطع الطريق? Because because of these people, the people no longer use that road, because they're robbing people on that road. So then people no longer use it. So it's قاطع مقطوع. It's cut off now. People no, no longer use it. Is that clear? So that's the definition of it. So he says, وقطاع الطريق على أربعة أوجه. The قطاع الطريق they have four different situations. Four different situations that a person who's a highway robber may, may, be, may do his robbing. In قتلوا ولم يأخذوا المال They sometimes they kill but they don't take wealth. So they go and they kill and they don't find any money and they go back. So in that case قتلوا In that situation the, the punishment for this قطاع الطريق is that they are executed. قتلوا قتلوا حدا They executed without any choice. We said remember in Qisas that if someone kills someone then he is executed, but it's up to the wali, right? The awliya of the person who was killed to decide whether he deserves, whether they want, to, they want him executed or they want to take the diya, they want to take the money, or they want to forgive. As for qatir al-tariq, then there's no forgiveness. He is executed haddan, he's executed without any forgiving, without being forgiven. Even if, the, even if the families, they say we forgive him, this is the right of Allah, so he's not forgiven. وَإِنْ قُتِلُوا وَأَخَذُوا الْمَالِ And if they are killed, and they take wealth as well, so they, if they kill, sorry, if they kill people and they rob people and they take wealth as well, وصلبوا, they are executed and then they are uh, um, crucified. They're executed and they're crucified. Yani they're hung up for the people to see that they were executed. And there's the punishment of people who kill and steal. But if they just steal without killing, so they rob people without killing people, then well, their, le- their left hand and right foot Or right f- hand and left foot is cut off So right hand, left foot, op- the opposite Okay, is it clear? طيب, what if they don't do any of that? They just, they're just people who They're just on the, on the pathway and they're just scaring people they haven't, they haven't been able to kill anyone They haven't been able to steal anything Then in that case, حبسوا, they are imprisoned And some and, uh, imprisoned وعزروا, And then ta'zir is done to them the judge decides according to their discretion. And they don't do anything. They just they're on the way, they're just making people scared of the pathway. But they don't actually manage to do any crime. They don't actually manage to do any crime. And now, uh, the, the, Wallahu alam, the other ayah says also, min al ard. They are exiled from the land. Yani they have to be taken away from that land. They have to be take, kicked out of that land. This is one opinion, this is the opinion of the majority of the scholars. And it was narrated from Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu also this opinion. That this is how the Qutar al-Tariq, this is how they dealt with. Um, others now, this, the, the difference of opinion is based on the ayah. When Allah says in the Quran, um, جزاء الذين يحاربون الله ورسوله, the recompense for those who 
go to war against Allah and His Messenger and that they are executed أو يصلبوا, or they are uh, crucified or they hands and legs are cut off or they exiled from the land so Allah says oh 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 Ibn Abbas he says this or this choice is based on what? it's based on what they do as we just explained to you now right? if they kill then they get this if they do it other scholars they mention no the judge has a, has a choice he can choose between any one of these no matter what they do and wallahu alam the, 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 this goes back to whatever the judge decides if he wants to take this opinion or that opinion Wallahu a'lam, I'm just presenting to you those two opinions. Wallahu subhanahu wa ta'ala a'lam. Yeah. So the exile one is the last one? Yeah, oh, you're from the earth, yeah. Yeah, the last one, yeah. The exile from the land, if they don't do any of that. Yeah. So it's like if someone does the crime, and then time passes, and then they found guilty later on, even the had based on that, even if his time has passed, and they're forgiven. And if they're they forgiven? No, this is different. We're going to come here right now. If they repent before they are caught, if they repent before they are caught, then the punishment we're going to come to, inshallah. We're going to come to. No. Crucifixion. They have to be crucified. No. No. Woman tab in whom Kabla Kudra Alehi. Allah says in the Quran. Except for the ones who repent before you are able to, to, uh, to catch them. And if they repent before they're caught, then they don't take the same ruling as the الطريق. Then the, the punishment of Allah is forgiven for them. But any wealth or any killing that they've done, they're held accountable for it. So now, it's no longer, it's no longer the punishment of Qatu al-Tariq. Then they, now they t- they're taking the punishment of who? The Sariq, the one who steals, or the one who? Who kills. The same punishment in the Had al-Qisas. So the, the, the family can forgive in that situation when they, if they repent. If they don't repent, if they're caught before they repent, then they t- come under this. If they repent before they're caught, then they come under this, the murderer, and they come under the one who steals. Is that clear? The Sariq. Is that clear? No, then his hands, if he steals, his hands cut off. Yeah, regardless. But in, he uh, doesn't come under the ruling of the Sariq of the Qatu al Tariq, which is hand and left and foot is cut off. He just comes under the, the, right, the right hand cut off. Is that clear? Yeah, if, if they repent. If they repent before they come, and if they get caught whilst doing the action, for example, then they haven't repented. Like if they repent and then they come and they find out that they, that these were the ones who done it, and they repented and then they come, they they put them, they turn themselves in, for example. They repent and they turn themselves in. Then in that case, you know, they repented before. But if they're caught in the action, then no, we don't. We assume that they didn't, unless they're. And we have we have to have clear, uh, and we have to have a clear evidence that he repented before he was caught. So the hudud are no longer there. As for the rights that he's taken, then the rights are not forgiven by repentance, by tawbah. The rights are not forgiven in the dunya by repentance. The rights still have to be given back. If he killed someone, it still has to be, qisas has to be applied upon him. If he stole, then the had al-sariq has to be applied upon him. And that is generally the ahkam al-qatu al-tariq. 
And the qatr al-tariq also what comes under him is anyone who steals bil-ghalaba wal-quwa. Anyone, so it doesn't have to be just a road, highway robber. Anyone who steals out of overpowering. For example, someone, uh, armed robbery for example, comes under that. Or someone who robs uh, with using a sword or anything like that. Or a knife. All of these, they come under qatr al-tariq when they take this ruling. Is that clear? سقط عن حدود وأخذ بالحقوق نعم. فصل في, في حكم الصيال وإتلاف البهائم نعم. نعم. If all of them rob one person, then all three of them are قطع طريق. They all take the punishment. نعم. فصل في حكم الصيال وإتلاف البهائم الصيال is uh, being attacked. So what's the ruling on, on, on someone who's attacked? Being attacked. If someone's attacking you, then what can you do? Um, نعم. ومن قصد لنفسه أو ماله أو حريمه فقتل دفعا عنه فلا شيء عليه. If someone is attacked and his wealth or his self or his family, his wife or his family, they are attacked, then he can he, and he kills that person whilst defending his family or his wealth or his self. فلا شيء عليه. Then there's nothing on him. Meaning there's no punishment on him. He's not held accountable for. Murder and he's not held accountable for anything because it is self-defense. And the evidence for that is the ayah in the Quran when Allah says, Whoever tries, whoever protects himself after he's oppressed, then that person has no problem on him. He has no punishment on him. Like in the point but the, the important mas'ala when it comes to this is that we have to the first mas'ala there's a few mas'ala when it comes to this, this, this chapter. Number one is that the person who's defending himself. He has to defend himself with the least that is possible. The least that is needed, sorry. The least that is needed. So if someone, he, it is enough for you just to push him back, then you're not allowed to hit him hard. And if it's enough for you just to tell him to stop, then, then you're, not, you're not allowed to touch him. And if you have to do, if you go, and you keep going like that, until there is nothing left to do other than you have to defend yourself physically, then you can defend yourself physically, even if it means that this person is going to die because of that. Then his blood is halal, it's hadr, as they say, it's allowed. If it is, defend it. Now, that's the first mas'ala. It has to be billati hiya ahsan. Okay? You have to do the least that is needed. Second mas'ala that's important in this, in this topic is is it obligatory to defend yourself? Is it obligatory to defend yourself or not? We have the difference of opinion amongst the scholars on this. Um, and they say, the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, when he said, Man qutila duna malihi fahuwa shaheed. Whoever is killed defending himself, his wealth, then he's a shaheed, he's a, a, a martyr. Whoever is killed defending his honor, he's a shaheed. Whoever is killed defending his family, then he's a shaheed. So from this day, some of the scholars, they mention that it is obligatory upon a person to defend themselves. And also they take the ayah in the Quran, Don't throw yourself into destruction. So a Muslim is not allowed to throw himself into destruction by not defending himself. According to the, those scholars, and this is the opinion of a lot of, uh, or some of the scholars, this is the opinion that's taken by our Shaykh, Shaykh Rasulullah Abbas and Shaykh Khalid Mushaykh. So, uh, a lot of the ulama of our teachers, they take this opinion that it's obligatory upon a person to defend himself. The other opinion is that it is, what, uh, obli- it is ob- not obligatory except for when it comes to defending your family. You have to defend your wife, for example, on your daughters and your children. As for defending yourself, then is it obligatory? Then this, according to this opinion, it's not obligatory for yourself and your wealth. As for your wife, then you have to, even if it means that you're going to, you're going to uh, die. That, uh, that opinion, they say that you don't have to, and the reason why 
is they say the hadith of Uthman. When Uthman عنه, was attacked by the Khawarij, they came and they surrounded his house. And, they, and he, said to, he said to the people, what did he say to the people? Put down your swords. And he says to his slaves, he had 400 slaves. Or he said to his slaves, and I can't remember how many slaves, oh no, 400 slaves. He said, whoever, whoever leaves his, his, his um, whoever throws away his, his, um, his weapon, then he's free. So Uthman said, don't defend me. So from this, the scholars, they say that, this shows that you don't have to defend yourself when you're being attacked. And also the hadith of the fitan, the fitan, when the Prophet said, Al-Qa'idu khayrun min al-mashi, the one who's sitting down when there's fitan, when there's fighting between Muslims, is better than the one standing. And the one who is running, or the one who's standing is better than the one running. And he said, if someone comes into your house, then be fakun adam. Be like the better of the two children of Adam. When one of the son of Adam, Qabil, tried to kill Habil, he said, I'm not going to, let him kill him. It says, وَتُلْ عَلَيْهِمْ نَبَأَ بَنِي آدَمَ بِالْحَقِّ إِذْ قَرَّبَ قُرْبَانَ فَتُقُبِّلَ مِنَ حَدِيمَ وَلَمْ يَتَقَبَّلَ مِنَ الْآخَرَ قَالَ لَأَقْتُلَنَّكَ He said, I'm going to kill you. قَالَ إِنَّمَا قَالَ قَالَ لَأَقْتُلَنَّكَ قَالَ لَا إِنَّمَا يَتَقَبَّلُ اللَّهُ مِنَ الْمُتَّقِينَ لَإِنْ بَسَطْتَ إِلَيَّ يَدَكَ لِتَقْتُلَنِي Rather, close your eyes and be like the best of the, the best. If someone, and one of the companions said, what if someone comes into my house and tries to kill me in the time of fitna? He said, close, uh, cover your face and be like the better of the two sons of Adam. Don't kill another Muslim in terms of fitna. So they say, based on this, that it is, or it is recommended for you to defend yourself. Lakin wallahu alam, what seems to be correct is that it is obligatory upon you to defend yourself. Obligatory upon you to defend yourself when it comes to yourself and your wealth and your money. Uh, yourself, your wealth, and your family, then it's obligatory upon you to defend yourself, except in times of fitan. And that's the way to combine between the hadith. When it's the time of fitan, the killing between the Muslims, then it's not obligatory. And you're allowed to put down your weapons in that situation because you don't want to kill another Muslim. Because you don't know whether that Muslim is innocent or not. طيب? Is that clear? And that seems to be a strong opinion. This is the opinion that was taken by Shaykh Khalid Mashaykh. Yeah. Um, can you not say, though, that no, no, no. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Be like the better of the two sons of Adam." Oh, okay. mm -hmm. <coughs> is that clear? That's the second masala when it comes to. So, is it obligatory? It is obligatory except for in times of fitan. Wallahu alam. No, no problem. Then he says, "Wa That the one. The this masala is talking about someone who destroys wealth through his animal. He's on, a, he's on an animal, then he destroys wealth. And he's on his horse, and the horse steps on houses and on marketplaces and destroys things. Then they say, The person who is on that horse or that animal, then he has to pay for everything that is destroyed by his animal. Similarly, the one who's on his car, even though it's not the same masala, not the same issue, but the one who's in his car and he destroys things by crashing into things, then whatever he destroys, whatever he crashes into, he has to pay for it if it is his fault. Wallahu alam. It comes under that as well. Or it doesn't come under the same masala, like it's similar. Uh, because the dabba, the animal, has some different rulings. Fasulun fi qitali ahli al-baghi. The next mas'ala is the ruling or the, kill, the, the fighting of the people of al-baghi. Fighting of al-bughat. Al-bughat, al-baghi, al-bughat, they are man kharaja ala, ima, ala al-imam bi-sultan bi-ta'wilin sa'ikh. Man kharaja ala al-imam bi-sultan, man kharaja ala al-sultan bi-ta'wilin sa'ikh. Walahum shawka. The baghi, 
the Bughat are the people who rebel against the Muslim ruler. They rebel against the Muslim ruler. And they have a legitimate, or sorry, an understandable reason. What we mean by understanding is that it's not legitimate, it's not allowed for them to do so, but they have a reason for it. For example, they weren't given their rights. And it's not based on i'tiqad, it's not based on the, the, the belief of the khawarij. Rather, it's based on rights. Someone wants their rights, so he goes and he gets an army and he goes and fights the imam. He's not from the khawarij, why? Because he's not doing it based on belief. He's doing it based on rights or emotion. As for the one who does it based on belief, then for women al khawarij, he's from the khawarij. That's what they're talking about. So what's the difference between the bughat and the khawarij? The, the bughat, they do it based on ta'wil and sa'ir. They, they think they have a right. The example of that is those people who rebelled against Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. The people who rebelled against Abu Bakr al-Siddiq and they refused to give him they left the bay'ah of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq and they didn't, they didn't accept his, his pledge of allegiance. Why? Because they said that we used to give zakat to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa So why am I going to give it to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu? So they left the al-ta'ah. They stopped obeying the leader. So they had a ta'wil. It wasn't based on i'tiqad. It wasn't based on takfir and i'tiqad they, they, they allowed. Okay? It was based on money or something like that. Or for example, those who, the Bughat, as the author here mentions, Naam, what does he mention here? He mentions, فَمِنْ ذَلِكَ تَأْوِيلُ الْخَارِجِينَ عَلَى عَلِيهِ Those who went against Ali رضي الله عنه حيث تمسكوا باعتقادهم Because they held on to their belief أنه يعرف قتلة عثمان The reason why they didn't accept Ali And they went against him in terms of leadership Is because he knew the people who killed Uthman And there were hundreds of people who killed Uthman And they were وَيَقْدِرُ عَلَيْهِمْ And they think they thought And they knew that Ali was able to get them back Was able to go and give them the qisas And punish them وَلَا يَقْتَصُ مِنْهُمْ But he wasn't doing it لِرِضَاهُ بِقَتْلِهِ وَمُوَطَأَتِهِ إِيَّاهُ إِيَّاهُمْ نعم والله عالم that's not, the, that's not correct وَلَا يَخْتَصُ مِنْهُمْ The Ali رضي الله عنه he had strength he had strength to get them so they had this ta'wil so because of that they went against Ali رضي الله عنه they didn't give him bay'ah like the people of uh, that were under uh, Mu'awiyah وَمِنْ أَمْثِلَةِ التَّعْوِيلِ الْحَامِنِ عَنْهُ عَلَى مَنْ الْحَقِّ ما وقع لمانع الزكاة. The people who didn't give zakat to Abu Bakr al-Siddiq رضي الله عنه, they also came under that. That was their ta'wil. As for the khawarij, then they are the ones who rebel against the Muslim ruler based on i'tiqad, their belief. Okay? Then, in that situation, they are from the khawarij. What's the ruling on these bughat? Look what the author, rahimahullah ta'ala, says. فصل في قتال أهل البغي ويقاتل أهل البغي بثلاثة شرائط. The people who rebel against the Muslim ruler, they are fought against with three conditions. أن يكونوا and that shows that it is a major sin. أن يكونوا في منعة أن يكونوا في منعة that they have strength. So they are people who are actual army or something like that. They actually have strength. They're not just a one or two group of people who are just causing havoc. They actually have strength. وأن يخرجوا عن قبضة الإمام and they leave the power of the imam of the leader. The Muslim leader has no longer any power over them. For example, they go to a village or a desert. They go to the desert outside of the city. And they gather over there and they plan to attack the Muslims from there. And they have a ta'wil sa'iq. They have a reason for it. They have a reason which is understandable. They have a reason which is understandable. So he says, What happens to them? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran uh, that, or the Prophet وسلم, told us that we fight against these people. The Imam is obliged. To fight against them. And the evidence for that is the ijma' of the Sahaba. The Sahaba, they agreed, all of them, they agreed on fighting against the ones who left the rulership of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. 
And so they fought against them. Um, and the people who refused to give the wealth to Abu Bakr, they were fought against. And that shows that it is obligatory upon them to fight against these people. Then when they do fight against these people, when the Imam sends the army against them, La asiruhum. The one who is captured as a prisoner, he's not killed. As opposed to, the, to the, when it comes to when it comes to fighting against the non-Muslims, then a prisoner, the, the Imam has a choice on what to do with him. But in this situation, the one who is fought against from the Bugat, they're still Muslims, so they can't be executed. They're not allowed to be executed. maluhum, and their wealth is not taken as ghanima. It's not taken as spoils of war. And the one who's injured is not killed. And someone's injured during the war, you don't go and kill them and finish them off. That's not happen. That's not allowed to be happen. That's not allowed to happen. And the reason for all of these is why? Is because these are still Muslims and they're not allowed to be killed without any right. The only time they are killed is when they attack. Is that is the reason, the only reason why they are allowed to be fought against is because they are causing harm on the Muslims. Because rebelling against the Muslim leader leads to what? It leads to killing, as we've seen recently. We see what happened in uh, the Muslim countries or the Arab Arab lands when the people they were rebelling and trying to over over topple their governments in Yemen. What happened in Yemen and similar countries when they tried to topple their governments, it caused a lack of a lack of um, discipline or a lack of control over the society. And that's why the Imams of the Salaf they used to say that one day. Oh, sorry. One day without a leader is worse than 60 years with an oppressive leader. Because one day without a leader shows, in that one day there is no law. So anyone can go and kill whoever they want and there's no accountability for it. Because remember we said that the accountability is only done by who? The Muslim leader, the judges, the people who are in power. So when people rebel against the Muslim leader, it causes killing. And it causes corruption of the whole land. All, everything becomes halal now. The blood of the Muslims, the Muslim women, Everything becomes allowed, everything, everyone is killed and the worst of people they come out at that time because there's nothing to control them and so they can cause what happens and that's why Ibn Taymiyyah says وَلَا يُعْرَفُ It is not known أَنَّ طَائِفَةً خَرَجَتْ عَلَى الْإِمَامِ That is not known that a, 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 a group of people they rebelled against their leader except for that the fact that the evil was worse than what came from the good Throughout the history of Islam there's never been a time where the Muslims they rebelled against the leader and good came out of it, never, never if you read history, look at it. Look at what happened in the first, re first rebellion. When those who rebelled against Hajjaj ibn Yusuf al-Thaqafi. Or the people of Harra, for example. The people who rebelled against the Banu Umayyah in the day of Harra. In the 60th the the year of the Hijrah. After 60 years of the Hijrah. When Sahaba was still alive. And they would get on the member of Al-Madinah. And they would say, Ana I've, I've, I've taken away my pledge of allegiance for the leader, uh, Abdul Malik ibn Marwan. Who was the leader at the time. And... Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, the companion was still alive at that time. He gathered his family and he said, whoever does this, whoever rebels or whoever takes away his hand of obedience from the leader, then I'm free from him, from his, all of his family, he said that. And so what happened when that happened, they sent an army to Al-Madina and they gave them three days to come back. And when three days was not, when they didn't, still didn't come back, they sent the army into Al-Madina and it became halal for three days. And Medina became halal for this army, for, not halal in terms of Sharia, it was haram for them what they done. Yazid, what he done. Like what they done was they came into Al Medina and they killed the Muslims and they say they raped 1,000 women. The Muslims of Medina, of Medina, the Medina. And this is, what, this is what happens when you rebel against a oppressor. The oppressor is not scared of Allah. He's not, he doesn't have no fear of, he hasn't, he hasn't got fear of Allah, right? So is it smart now to go and think that the oppressor is going to have mercy upon you? 
Of course not. He's not going to have mercy upon you. He's going to kill everyone. So therefore, that's why the, the guidance of the Prophet وسلم, when he said that there will come a group of people, there will come leaders, their hearts are the hearts of shayateen. Have you heard a uh, worse description than that? Hearts of shayateen. In the, in the bodies of human beings. The companions, they said, Should we not fight against them, rebel against them? The leaders who are shayateen. The Prophet said, لا, No, do not. As long as they establish the salah, meaning as long as they're Muslims. As long as they're Muslims, don't rebel against them. Why? Because the Prophet knew from the wisdom that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to him that the oppressive leader is not going to be scared to kill those people who rebel against him. And that's what happened at the time of Harrah, when the oppressive leader killed those people of Al Medina. When at the time of the Khuruj of Ibn Ash'ath, when they rebelled against Ibn Hajjaj ibn Yusuf al Thaqafi, they rebelled against him. Hajjaj ibn Yusuf was someone who killed. 140 people, 140,000 people, including the companion Abdullah ibn Zubair. He killed the companion, Abdullah ibn Zubair. When they rebelled against him, what did he do? He went and he killed all of them, or almost all of them. And he went to the Kaaba and he destroyed the Kaaba. As Hajjad Muslim claimed to be Muslim. Some of the, uh, the, some of the ulama, they said the reason why they rebelled against him was because they believed he was a kafir. No problem. They had a reason for that. So rebelling against him, what happened? And they were, that, that's at the time of uh, the Salaf, at the time of uh, the Yawm al-Harra, on the fitna of Ibn Ash'ath. They don't call it the Khuruj, they call it fitna, the fitna of Ibn Ash'ath. They don't praise it. It was something that was bad. And Hassan al-Basri, when, when he was asked, should we not rebel against Hajjad? He said, no, because he's a punishment from Allah. And you're not going to take away a punishment from Allah through your swords. So don't rebel against him, rather be patient. The Prophet wasallam said, Isbiru al-amra qareeb. Be patient, because it's gonna, inshallah it will come. The, the help from Allah will come. Either the leader, the oppressive leader is going to die or he's going to, yani he's either he's going to die or when he, the next, after what comes after, what comes after him is or either Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to punish him or he's going to die. As for you trying to do something against the sharia of Allah, when the Prophet sallallahu told us, do not rebel against the Muslim leader and you're trying to remove an evil by doing another evil, then it's only going to cause another, another evil. And that's what happened at the time of the Salaf. And when Imam Ahmed, and there's multiple examples from the Yawm al-Harra, from the Fitna of Ibn Ash'ath, from Imam Ahmed, when the Imam, the leader, who was Ma'moon, he believed the Qur'an was created, and that's a belief of Kufr. The Muslims, they were saying, should we, and he was punishing and killing anyone who said the Qur'an is not created. And if you believe the belief of Ahl-Sunnah, then he would kill you. The Mu'tazil, and he's, and he's forcing you to believe the belief of Kufr. They asked Imam Ahmed, who was punished and he was lashed for this belief. They asked Imam Ahmed, Rahimahullah, should we not rebel against him? He said, Addima, Addima. Watch out for the blood of the Muslims, the blood of the Muslims. Right now, yes, he's oppressing thousands of people, yes. And he's killing the people who don't believe, the, who believe the correct belief. He's doing that, yes. It's true. And he's not a good person. We're not saying he's a good person. But when you do rebel against him, what's going to happen? He's going to kill more people. And the blood of the Muslims is going to become, is going to become easy. So, be careful of blood, be careful of blood. And this is the reason why it's so bad to rebel against the Muslim leader. And that's why the ulama of the Salaf, they started to mention in the Aqidah books, the prohibition of rebelling against the Muslim leader. To the point that the Imam Ahmed said, Whoever rebels against the Muslim leader, then he's an innovator, and he's not upon the path of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah. And from the Aqeedah of Ahl-Sunnah that we believe that we take in Aqeedah, and you're going to see it on Saturday, Ha'i ibn Abi Dawood, is that وَنَرَى الْجِهَادِ وَالْجَمَاعَةِ وَالْحَجْ مَعَ كُلِّ إِمَامٍ بَرٍّ أُفَاجِرٍ That we believe that you have to do jama'ah, you have to pray in jama'ah, and you have to 
do hajj and you have to do jihad with every leader, whether he's good or bad. That's why Ibn Mas'ud or Ibn Umar would, would pray behind leaders who are fasaqa, who are evil leaders, he would pray behind them. Leaders, some of them would drink alcohol, they would pray behind them. And some of them, they would pray fajr two raka'ah, or four raka'ah, sorry. And then he would say, assalamu alaikum, assalamu alaikum, fajr, four raka'ah. Then he would look back and he would say, should I give you more? Ibn Mas'ud prayed behind this leader because he was the leader, right? So this shows that the Imams of the Salaf, they all agreed upon that it's not allowed for any group of people to rebel against the Muslim leader because of the chaos that comes from it. And the last point I want to mention is that the scholars of, of Islam, they don't mention this out of fear of the leaders, nor do they mention this out of love for the leaders. Rather, they say that these leaders are evil people. Naam, they were evil people. They might be. They might be an evil person. But they say it because they look at what is going to happen at the end. As for the awam, the general people, the layman, who's not learned, who's, based on, who's basing his actions on emotions, they don't look at what's going to happen later on. They look at what's happening now, we're being oppressed now, let's get rid of it now. But the scholars, not just the scholars, rather anyone who's old of age, anyone who's old in age, your parents, our parents, they know that what happens in these Muslim lands wasn't good, it was evil. They know this. Because of experience. They know that when, this, when they started protesting or they started going against the Muslim leader, they were killed. It happened in the 60s, it happened in the 70s, 80s, it happened before. But then when it happened in the 2010-11, they, they already knew because they experienced it before. And then they're going to come a generation who's going to not remember what happened in 2010-11. They're going to say, when it happened in 2030, they're going to be as good as well. And then they, when, they see, when, they see, when they see that it's evil, they're going to realize and they're going to tell the next generation. And what the next generation going to call them? You guys are scholars for dollars. That's what they're going to call them. Rather, these people are scholars who want to preserve the Muslims' blood. They don't want, to, they want, they don't want the money of the people. They don't want money of the scholars or the, or the, or the leaders. So it's not out of fear of the leaders, nor, out, nor is it out of love for the leaders. Rather, they might hate them, but it is out of love for the Muslim blood. Because this is from the Maqasr of the Sharia. And so that's, the, that's a, a point of the Bugat. So they are only killed, they are only fought against until they come back. And then Allah says in the Quran, Allah tells in the Quran, if two groups of Muslims they fight, then reconcile between them. Then if one of them now they rebel and they don't accept this, then then fight against those people who rebel. This is what the Muslim leader has to do. He has to fight against those people who rebel. Until they come back to the ruling of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah ta'ala mentions uh, from this ayah. That this is the evidence that if they repent, if they stop, then we're not allowed to touch them after that. The Muslim leader is not allowed to kill them after they are in prison. They're not allowed to finish them off if they're in, in, injured. And they're not allowed to take their money because they're still Muslims. Is that clear? Okay, the question. Um, why does it make a difference if you rebel against a Muslim and a non-Muslim leader? No, because the, the difference between rebelling against a Muslim and non-Muslim leader is that the evil of the non-Muslim leader is worse. Then, and only if, the only time it's allowed to rebel against the non-Muslim leader is if there is not going to be any harm. And if there's going to be that same harm, and if you rebel against it, because for example, where, um, the Muslims are, um, let's just example, 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 in, in Western country, the Muslims are 100,000. They want to rebel against the UK, for example, and they take some arms. What's going to happen to them? They're all going to get bombed. In that case, it's not allowed for them to do that because they're killing themselves. It's not allowed at all. Because, so the, 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 the dhabit here, the point is that you're not allowed to rebel against the non-Muslim leader unless, unless 
And this is if the, you're in a Muslim land, you're a Muslim land, and the Imam becomes a Kafir, then you're not allowed to rebel against him until you know that you have enough power to take over and remove him and bring someone who's better in his place or someone who's better than him in his place. Then in that, with minimal damage. If you know that, then it's allowed. Yeah. Question? Yes, the rebellious have to play blood money, of course. They have to play blood money and they're accountable for all of that. And rather they don't have to play, they, rather they are, they are killed hadden. They're executed. They have no choice. Hmm? You mentioned that they have to have someone that is better. Does that mean they have to have a mere, one emir over the whole? No, they have to have someone that's better, one emir, yes. But they, they have someone that they, they're going to put in place. And it's judged by the, the Muslim scholars. I don't know of any example of the Sharia where there was a non-Muslim leader who the Muslim rebelled against and he became good either. I don't know. I don't know. There might be. I don't know. Is protesting considered to be rebellion? No, not necessarily. Protest is not considered to be rebellion necessarily unless it is done in order to remove the Muslim leader. In that case, it's considered to be rebellion. But if it is done out of asking for rights, then it's haram, but it's not rebellion. Faslun fi ridda. The last uh, topic is ridda, which is apostasy, leaving the religion of Islam. Ridda in the, in, the, in the Sharia or in the Arabic language is to leave something after you were in it. To leave something after in it, you were in it. As for the Sharia, then it is to leave Islam, to leave the religion of Islam. And Allah says in the Quran, Ya Yuladina Amanu. Now, protesting is haram. The reason why pro- uh, protesting is haram, as mentioned by multiple scholars like Sheikh Ibn Baz and Sheikh Al Albani and uh, Sheikh Abdul Masih Al Abad, Sheikh Salih Al Fawzan, and many other scholars, Sheikh Salman Rahili, Salih Al Haydan, many of our modern scholars, they say that protesting is haram. Why? Why do they say protesting is haram? They mention a few reasons. Number one, and the main reason, the main, the main reason is that protests are not something that can be controlled. At, they're not something that can be controlled. It is, it's impossible to fully control a protest because anyone can go to a protest, right? So therefore you can't control who's going to come to it. Therefore you don't know, you're not, you're not going to be able to stop any evil that's going to hap- be happening to it. Or you're not safe from any evil happening in it. You're not safe from any evil happening in it. Any person can come and they can cause harm such as uh, looting, burning, uh, disturbing public peace. And these kind of things are things that are not possible for you to control in protests. Let alone things like free mixing and music and things like that. It's not something that is possible to be controlled. Therefore they say that anything that's impossible to be controlled in public and that can cause an evil, then it has to be is haram itself. And the principle in the Sharia is that anything that causes evil is haram. Anything that causes evil, anything that causes haram is haram itself. And so from that they say that protests didn't come under that. From amongst the reasons they also say that it's not something from the Muslims. The Muslims, they never knew it. The kuffar are the only ones who knew it. That's what some of the scholars they mentioned, like Sheikh Ibn Baz and Sheikh Salih al-Haydan. And the third reason that they mentioned it, Allah Alam, or how strong it is, that they say it's bid'ah, say it's innovation. Because command of the good and forbidden the evil is something that was done in the way of the Sharia. As for protesting, then it's not something that was commanded in the Sharia to change the evil. Rather, changing the evil was only commanded in the way that the Sharia has commanded. Like in Allah Alam, the strongest reason is the first reason that I gave, that you can't control it. And anything that leads to evil is evil. Allah Alam. 
And obviously it won't be allowed for anyone to protest in a land where protests are banned Because then it's going against the Muslim land, the government As for the protests are allowed, then it's still haram Because of the fact that there is um, not a, You can't control it And all three reasons that was given Really? So Ustaz Dhamman Hassan explained it in a podcast, why post is haram, so check that out, inshallah. Ustaz Saeed Hassan. Ustaz Saeed Hassan. Inshallah. Barakallah. Firridda. Apostasy. Uman irtadda anil Islam. Allah said in the Quran, Ya ayuhaladzina amanu, man irtadda minkum an dinihi, fasawfi atillahu biqawmi yuhibbuhum wa yuhibbuna. Whoever leaves Islam, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring about people who are better than them. And Allah, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in the hadith, man baddala deenuhu faqtuluhu. Whoever changes his religion, then he should be executed. The reason for that is because the Sharia came to preserve what? The deen of the people and a person leaving the religion of Islam is the worst of corruption that can happen to anyone as an individual and the worst thing that can happen in a society when that spreads. Therefore the Sharia came to prevent it by giving such a harsh punishment and will give you the which told you the pun and that, that is execution. No. How strong is that opinion that the Murtad should only be killed if he speaks bad against Muslims? But if he's quiet no, the no. Wallahu alam. The 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 opinion. That opinion. Wallahu alam is is um, that a person, the, the murtad, he should be executed straight away if it is proven that he's committed ridda. The reason for that is, and as for that opinion, Allahu alam. I don't know of that opinion. Uh, I don't know of that opinion where they mentioned that. But they the evidence for that is the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam when a man. Nakaha, he committed ridda at the time of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam by uh, believing or al- by uh, marrying the wife of his father, and so the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam commanded that he should be executed without um, waiting for that. Wallahu alam, I don't. Do you know that? Where, where's the opinion from? Zakallahu khairan. Naam. So he says, "Man irtadda an al-Islam, istutiba thalathan." Whoever leaves Islam, then he is asked to repent three times. He is asked to repent three times. And the evidence for uh, him being asked for, uh, to repent three times is the hadith of um, Umar ta'ala anhu, that a person, when he, uh, that a woman, she, نعم, she left Islam on the day of Uhud. The Prophet ﷺ commanded her to be, uh, for her to repent. يعني asked, can you repent? Then she, he said, وَفَإِن تَابَتْ قُتِلَتْ If she repents, then good. And if she doesn't repent, then she is executed. And also, the um, hadith of uh, Umar when the, the hadith of Umar that was narrated by um, Al-Shafi'i in his Musnad, from what I remember. Al-Shafi'i in his Musnad. فَقَالَ Umar. Why did you not keep him in his house for three days? Allahumma lam ahdur. Oh Allah, I did not present. And his person, he was, he was executed. Because he repented and he left Islam. So he was executed. And so Umar said, Why didn't you leave him in his house for three days? And wait for him in case he comes back and repents. And he says, Allahumma inni lam ahduru. Allahumma, oh Allah, I, didn't, I wasn't present during this false punishment. Walam amurhum. And I didn't command them to do such a punishment. Walam arda idh balagani idh balagani. And I was not pleased with it when it reached me. Allahumma inni abra'u ilayka min damihi. Oh Allah, I'm free from his blood. So from that we see that the person who repents from leaves Islam, then he 
uh, is executed after istitaba, after he is sought to repent. For in taba, if he repents, then alhamdulillah. Wa illa, if he doesn't repent, qutila, he is uh, executed. Walam yughassal, and he is not washed. Walam yusalla alayhi, and you don't pray upon him. Why? Because he's not a Muslim. Walam yudfan fi maqabiril muslimin. Nor is he buried amongst the Muslims. And the ridda can happen from three angles. From three angles. Number one is through words. A person can leave Islam through his words. For example, a person says, a person insults Allah. Or a person insults the Messenger of Allah وسلم, Or a person says that Allah has a son. Or a person mocks the religion of Islam. Or he claims to be a prophet. Or he claims to get revelation. Or he mocks the Quran in any way that is known to be mocking in the urf. According to the customs of people. Then all of these words are kufr in terms of the words. No. Hate, well, this is different, we're going to come to that as hate. Hating a ruling from Allah is in the heart. Hmm. Say some of the if someone does one of these things, then the only time that he's allowed to, uh, that he's allowed to be told is that he's a non-Muslim is if the, there is no prevention and there is the, the conditions are met. The conditions are that he knows what he's doing and it's not based on ignorance. And he didn't do it by accident. And he didn't do it, uh, he wasn't forced to do it. And there was nothing to prevent uh, takfir upon him. So he was sane, he knew what was happening. Then in that situation, a person of knowledge is allowed to declare that person a non-Muslim. A person of knowledge. Taib. And it's, for, it's not for every, everyone to, to say that. And from the things that he mentions here, is, and the, the, the shari here says, وَلَوْ سَبَّ نَبِيًّا مِنْ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ Cursing a prophet, or insulting a prophet. Or he said, فَيَسْتَغِيثَ أو ما يصدر من الظلمة عند ضربهم. Some people when they're whipped, فيستغيث المضروب بسيد الأولين والآخرين. They do استغاثة by the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. فيقول he says خلي رسول الله يخلصك. He said let the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم take care of you. And this is kufr. That's disbelief. Why? فقد استغاث بالنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم because he done he sought help from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. So they say oh يا رسول الله help us. يا رسول الله help us. This is kufr بالله عز وجل. If they knew what it means. If they know what it means. A lot of people, they say this word, they don't know what it means. Or they say when sometimes, Ya Rasulullah, they say something with it. Then it's not, this not, doesn't come under it. But if he knows what it means and they intend the meaning, then it becomes kufr. Okay? And similar to that. And that's in terms of words. As for actions, then there's many actions that will take a person out of Islam. For a person to do sujood to, a, to a, an idol. An idol. Or washams, or the sun, or the moon. Or to throw a mushaf. If the person gets a mushaf and he throws it on the floor. This is kufr billah. It takes the person out of Islam. Or magic, a sihr. Or lil asnam. To slaughter for other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To, to idols or anything other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wasukhriya bismillah bismin asma'illah. Or to mock a name from the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or um, imitating the kuffar in something that only they do. For example, wearing a cross. Whilst knowing that it's a cross, I know that it's a symbol of the Christians. And yet he does that, then this also kufr billahi azza wa jal. And there's many different things. And the scholars of, of, of fiqh, they mention how a person becomes a kafir in detail in this bab, this chapter. So if you want to go look for the higher books of fiqh, and you find all of the details uh, about when a person becomes a kafir and difference of opinion. Mm. They mention here, it mentions the wearing um, the hood of the majus. The Majus, they used to have a certain hood that they wear. Or the Zunnar. And the Zunnar is a belt that the Christians and the Jews had to wear in Muslim lands. 
So wearing a zunnar, they said some of them, they said it's kufr. Or يعني, wearing something that is an, a symbol of their shirk, a symbol of their shirk. For example, a cross, the Star of David, for example, things like that. Whilst knowing what it is and intending. And some people, they go to higher levels. يعني, this, what I'm mentioning to you are the basic things of what is, what is kufr. Then when you go to a higher level, you see that there's difference of opinion on many different things. For example, Imam Abu Hanifa says, if you pray without wudu on purpose, then you're kafir. Why? Because you didn't know that the, because you're mocking the salah. Or they say, for example, if someone says a musayhif, a small mushaf, he's mocking the mushaf. Or musayjid, it's a small masjid. So it's kufr. Abu, Abu, Imam Abu Hanifa was the strictest on this. Imam Abu Hanifa, in terms of had al-murtad, he was the, was the most strict. And he would, they would make takfir on things that other scholars wouldn't consider it to be kufr. Such as the things, examples that I've mentioned. Mm. Now, believing in star signs, all come under Kitab al-Tawheed. This star signs, if a person uh, believes, uh, if a person follows star signs, then it's not major kufr, it's minor kufr. Unless they believe that the stars are gods, then it's kufr, of course. But, it, but other than that, it's minor kufr, it's not major kufr. And minor kufr is a major sin, not minor, yani. That's why we don't mention that it's just minor. طيب. Or by اعتقاد, or by belief. So that's the th- th- third way a person can, can disbelieve, huh? by belief. For example, كَمَا يَعْتَقِدُ أَنَّ لِلَّهِ وَلَدًا like someone who believes that Allah has a son. That's kufr billahi azza wa jal. Or they believe that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is Allah. Or he has the power to help you. Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or someone who believes that something is haram, he believes it's halal. Something that is clear-cut haram. Or no difference of opinion. Like alcohol. He believes alcohol is halal. He believes pig is halal. Or he believes zina is halal. Hmm? A clear-cut haram, he believes it to be halal. Or a clear-cut halal, he believes it to be haram. For example, he believes water to be haram. Things like that. Or he, doesn't, he believes that the salah is not obligatory upon him. Then that person is also a kafir. Um, then he says also, Being pleased with kufr is also kufr. So saying that you can be a Jew and Christian is fine. It's kufr as well. All of it. It comes under kufr. Uh, intending to commit kufr is kufr itself right then and there before you even intend, you even do it or th- th- thinking about it I'm on it I might do it I might not do it mm, I might commit kufr he's a kafir straight away may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from that what's the hukum on the person who says like the Jews and Christians are our brothers and sisters. If someone intends by that the Jews and the Christians are our brothers and sisters, and he intends by that that their religion is acceptable religion, or they are people that we should not hate for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that's kufr as well. Like and if he believes that if he says that our brothers and sisters are of humanity and things like that and intending that kind of stuff, then that's not kufr. If a person believes that the Jews and Christians are our brothers and sisters, if he believes that based on thinking that the Jews and the Christians their religion is correct or they're an acceptable religion, then it's kufr. If, they, if he just thinks that it's the human, I mean, human, in humanity, he means it like that, then it's not covered. Um, so they're both they're like open, hidden. hidden or open. If he's found out, yeah, and of course he has to be open because otherwise he's not found out. But if he's not, if he's not found out, then he's a kafir by himself. Yeah, and of course this is in the Muslim land. Yeah, if you know that someone has to, if someone committed kufr, do you have to report it? Allahu alam, I don't know. But it's in the Muslim land anyway. Not here, because it's not going to do anything. طيب. One thing I want to mention before we mention, finish this is that it's important to understand that a lot of people have waswas in this. They have waswas. And I get a lot of, we get a lot of questions, a lot of questions. 
where someone says, ah, I, 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 someone mentioned something about Salah and I laughed, I'm a kafir. And I'm a kafir, everything, I'm a kafir, I'm a kafir. Guys, don't have waswas in this mas'ala. Yani, if a person knows he's a Muslim, he's a Muslim, and all these was waswas are from shaitan. Okay? But this is the hukum of Allah when it comes to an actual situation. Yani, when we see that it's happening and there's no ta'wil, no, and this is when it is. As for a person, every situation is, oh, I stepped on the... Uh, the name of Allah by accident, or, you know, was, uh, or I stepped on a pattern and it looked like the name of Allah, my kafir. Things like that. Wallah, you get these kind of questions. And for example, they say, we were talking about the masjid and I laughed at my kafir. I've got that question today. Someone, things like that. And this is common, very, 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 very common amongst people. A lot of people have waswas. And you're going to see that later on in life. A lot of people have waswas. So people, especially in this bab and bab was salah and wudu, they have waswas in this and also in this kufr. They think everything is kufr. And so this is something that the person needs to be careful of. That you don't have waswas in these masail, and you know that you believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. طيب. Then he says, الصلاة, The last masala is the one who leaves the salah. What's the ruling of the one who doesn't pray? What we mean by If he leaves it and he believes that he doesn't have to pray, he says, Salah is not obligatory upon me. I don't have to pray. What's the ruling on that person? Then he's an apostate because he's made something that was obligatory. Something that was known in the religion with necessity, he said that it is not obligatory upon him. For example, someone says, I don't have to give zakah. I don't have to do hajj. Hajj is not wajib. Hajj is not wajib. Zakah is not something that we have to do. And he gives fatwa for that, for example. Then that person, his fatwa is his hukum is hukum murtad. He's a murtad. What about if he doesn't pray, never prays, but he believes it's obligatory? There's a few masail that comes under this. Number one is that, is he a Muslim or not? He doesn't pray. He doesn't pray at all. Ever. But he knows it's obligatory, but he's out of laziness. He doesn't pray. He doesn't want to pray. He's lazy. What's the ruling on this person? The majority of the scholars, they say he's not a kafir. He's a Muslim still. That's the majority of opinion. His opinion of Imam Imam Hanif, Imam Malik, Imam Shafi'i, one of the narrations of Imam Ahmed, ta'ala, that they all say that he's still a Muslim. And the evidence they bring is that the Prophet said, that the blood of Muslim is not halal except for by three things. And nafsu bin nafs, someone who is killed, executed someone. Nafsu bin nafs, the one who commits zina after having been thayyib. Someone who leaves his religion. So they say that the salah was not added to these three things that made the blood of a Muslim halal. Therefore that person doesn't become the kafir. And that's their opinion, wallahu alam, so they bring. This is the opinion of the majority of the scholars. And so no, that's a, it's, a, it's a strong opinion. And the other opinion is that the person who leaves salah, even out of laziness, then he's a non-Muslim. And this is because the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu The difference between us and them, yani the Muslim, the non-Muslims, is the salah. So whoever leaves it, then he is a kafir. These scholars, they say, no, this is minor kufr. And the other scholars, they say, no, this is major kufr. And this is the opinion of uh, the author, hey, the Sharih, he mentioned, this is the opinion of Ali ibn Abi Talib, was Sayyid al-Jaleel, Abdullah ibn Mubarak, and it's also the opinion of Ibn Taymiyyah and the opinion of Sheikh Ibn Baz and Sheikh Ibn Uthaymeen and Sheikh Salih Al-Fawzan. They take that these opinions that a person who leaves the salah that he is a non-Muslim is a kafir. As opposed to leaving of zakah. Someone who believes zakah is wajib but he doesn't pay zakah of stinginess. He's stingy. Or he doesn't go hajj because he doesn't want to go hajj. He's lazy. Or he doesn't fast because he doesn't like to fast. For example, or not like to fast, he doesn't want to fast. Of laziness. He's still a Muslim. But as for the one who leaves salah out of laziness, then there's difference of opinion, is he a Muslim or not? Wallahu alam, what seems to be correct is that a person leaves Islam out of that. Because of the hadith of the Prophet that the difference between us and them is the salah. So whoever leaves it off, then he's a 
a kafir. طيب. So if he's a kafir, then he, his punishment is what? Ridda, right? He's a murtad. What about if, he, if he's not a kafir according to the opinion of the majority? Despite even, even if you he say he's not a kafir, he's still a Muslim, then he's still executed as well. So he says, He's commanded to pray. He doesn't pray out of laziness. He's commanded to, to pray. If he repents and he prays, then that's good. Then he's executed for that. There's no forgiveness after that. There's no, there's no like dia and stuff like that. Okay? But after that, his ruling is the ruling of the Muslims. Meaning, he's washed and he's buried amongst the Muslims and he is prayed upon. Rather, it's obligatory upon the Muslims to pray upon him if they believe he's a Muslim, of course, if they take that opinion. So it's obligatory upon them to pray upon him. But despite that, there is ijma', no difference of opinion amongst the scholars that the person who doesn't ever pray, then he has to take that punishment as well. So whether you say he's a Muslim or not, the punishment is not exactly the same, lacking execution there is applied to that person who leaves the salah. Today we had a very long lesson. Inshallah ta'ala will carry on next lesson in Kitab al-Jihad. Wallahu alam bis-sawab. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Alhamdulillah.